Well, if you'll turn your Bibles back to Psalm 8, Psalm 8, where we'll be today, and uh, we will have verses up on the overhead screen, but it's always uh, excellent and helpful for remembering God's Word to have your Bible in front of you. And I wonder if you've thought about it much, how as people we have an incredible place in the world. Uh, a glorious place, in fact. Uh, across the whole earth, there are very few places that we haven't been. We've stood on high mountains, the highest of mountains. We've explored the deepest depths of the ocean. We've even stood on the surface of the moon. Is there anything we can't do? And we build our technology and we multiply our machines to do our work uh, and we entertain and delight our senses as well. And yet there's this odd tension, isn't there? Uh, where in the midst of such great achievements, we argue and take and we break. And for all the, the good uh, we've mastered and made, we argue and fight over who gets what. And the more we've learnt to do, the more our fellow humans suffer and our environment has taken a beating too. And worse still, those who have gone before us no longer remain with us, nor will we be around to meet those who come after us. For we have not mastered death, and our bodies return to the dust from which we're made. And with all of that in the mix, how do we make sense of it all? How can we be so glorious and yet so frail? What does it mean to be human? Well, whether from what we see outside ourselves or what we find within, some people think that they've got it all together. Thanks very much. Uh, there's an antidote to that here in the Psalms. Uh, others have a low view of themselves and think they are worthless. There's an antidote for that too here in the Psalms. And so over these two weeks, we're reading Psalm 8 and Psalm 90, two songs, that's what Psalm means, two songs which help us to see ourselves as we truly are, which invite us to joy and comfort and courage, uh, which agree we are glorious, but which also challenge us to see ourselves in, not in the shimmering light of our own glory, uh, but to bask in God's glory, thankful to him, treasuring his name, fulfilling our place in his great creation, to truly know ourselves as we know him. And Psalm 8 is instructive how this should begin and end. In fact, Psalm 8 begins and ends with the same words. It begins and ends at the place, indeed, that each of us should begin and end in the glory of the Lord. And so we read in verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Uh, this picture here of majesty, because we don't, you know, we don't think about uh, kings and queens very much, although if we do, we tend to think them as you know, a bit more ceremonial. Uh, but if you think of the greatest and most powerful rulers of the earth, or perhaps uh, it's the, the people of business 
and, and wealth of uh, wealth and finery. You know, insert the names you know here, whether it's the Bill Gateses or the Steve Jobs or the Elon Musks or the Kardashians. Uh, I'll leave you to decide which is which. Uh, but these are the ones we hear about, aren't they? Whose names are worldwide brands. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord, he is greater than everyone and everything else put together. And there is no place on the earth above it or under it where he does not rule and his greatness is not a reflected greatness. Like, you know, when you take one of those beautiful photos of a, of a great vista or, or like the moon reflects the light of the sun, he embodies his glory in who he is and what he has done. As Lord, our Lord, he is both the one who uses his power to serve his creation. That's the second Lord uh, in, the, in verse 1. That's what it means. But he is also the God who reveals himself personally and preciously to his people. Uh, that's the first Lord, the one in the small capitals, indeed the name of God that he gave to the people of God. David, King David, who wrote this psalm, knew him as the God who promises, as the God who saves, as the God who gathers his people, as the God who loves to bless. He is the Lord the Lord who deserves all your praise and mine. Actually, if the greatness of the heavens can't contain its praise for him, uh, he is so powerful, he's such a great ruler. I, I love what comes next, that even the praise of the littlest and the least for him is greater than the strength of those who resist him. Verse 2, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now, we've all experienced uh, how children can show us up as adults. Uh, I don't have to demonstrate that for you, do you? you you've had that experience or it's before you. Uh, uh, when Jesus first entered the temple, we read in Matthew 21, that seeing Jesus' miracles and wonders, the children who were there called out, Hosanna to the son of David. That's where I got the song wrong from this morning, I expect. Hosanna to the son, son of David. And the religious leaders were indignant. Stop them, they said. And what does Jesus say in response? He quotes the words of Psalm 8, Psalm 8 verse 2. And in that moment, two things happened. Jesus accepted the children's praise, praise reserved only for God, and the leaders that for all their learning and power and place in society were shown to be both ignorant and enemies of God. The praise of the littlest and the least is because of the one whom they praise is so great. He is so great that he uses all creation to praise his name, even what seems weak and foolish. He uses to shame the self-important who think themselves wise. Our kids may not know all sorts of things, but in his wisdom they may know and praise the God of all. 
Now it's therefore, uh, as the psalmist teaches us, only in the light of this glory, the Lord's glory, that we can actually understand ourselves, truly understand ourselves. And here in Psalm 8, David captures the wonder of our place in God's plans. And what is it? We are rulers of the world. David understood it and he was in awe of the God who made it so. So we pick him up from verse 3. David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, uh, of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. We may not have a coat of arms, you know, as, you know, the rich and the wonderful do. Does anyone here have a coat of arms? Someone might, I don't know. Uh, we do not have a royal palace. Uh, I know where most of you live. Yeah, we don't live in palaces. Our names may not be on the lips of the people we live among or on the, uh, uh, the reports in the news. Our names might be, not be plastered on building tops. But by God's grace, you and I, we are rulers of his world. Compared to the sun, moon and stars and the vastness of space itself, it would seem we were so small, so insignificant. And the more science unlocks about the universe, the smaller we may feel, a mere blip. And yet here is how we truly are through the eyes with which God sees us. He is especially interested in us. He has given this great honour to us. And of course, the royal language is here again and again. I wonder if you noticed it of being crowned and of glory and of honour. Ours is the honour of being made in the image of the great ruler, in the image of of God. If he is the Lord and King of all, we are made in that image. And in these words, David reflects on the wonders of Genesis 1, uh, 1 verse 26, where in creation, do you remember what God had said? Let us make mankind in our own image. And as he spoke those words, he gave people pride of place made in the climax of all that is made, as image bearers we're given his world to rule over under him. Now in uh, David's day, in David's part of the world, although not limited to it, any conquering king, you know, because they're always coming and going and taking over and uh, keen to remind people about who was in charge and who to pay their taxes to, uh, a conquering king would leave a statue in the lands they'd conquered to remind everyone who now ruled. So, uh, do you know the Queen Victoria building? You know the Queen Victoria building? Do you know the uh, statue of Queen Victoria that is outside at opposite Town Hall? Yeah, this is an unfamiliar territory. Uh, it hasn't always been there. Uh, it hasn't been there even as long as the building, the Queen Victoria building. That statue, in fact, once stood in Dublin in front of the Irish Parliament, there to remind them of who ruled there 
when the English ruled there. Uh, but after winning their independence, I think it was over 100 years ago now, uh, let's see, how did they feel about this statue? Uh, you can have it. In our case, we are made in God's image to show who rules over this world, over everything collectively in the first place, but over each of us as individuals as well. God hates images of himself in statues and pictures and they do nothing but dishonour him because the only thing allowed, the only thing great enough to represent him on earth is you. We are special. We are glorious because of his glory. And it's a far uh, cry, isn't it, from a worldview uh, that is without God. Where all you see is all there is and where we are just a collection of atoms, a, a product of statistical and accidental chance, which of course is hardly motivating to get up in the morning. But what we read here is, from verse 5, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the path of the seas. We are different from the rest of God's creation. We don't stand equal to it, but above it. And when we think of ourselves as just another animal or uh, people describe us in that way, it, it actually takes away from the glory that God has revealed. Any way of looking at the world, in fact, that does that, whether in the name of science or in the name of philosophy, uh, rather than making science or philosophy servants of the God who rules, in majesty, dishonours the greatness, in fact, the glory of God. The flip side is true too, of course, when we elevate ourselves to the place that is God, God alone, we shouldn't mistake as we hear of our great place in the psalm today, uh, that we have something to be proud of. We must remain humble as the ones who honour the God in whose image he made us. And the danger that we face, uh, given our ingenuity, our creativity, in fact, even our sheer force of numbers across the face of the earth, is that we believe the lie that we, that we exist without God. Where we become God, at least in our own minds, but as we hear God's word this morning, as God's church, we understand the wonder of who we are. We know the Lord who rules over all. And we see ourselves ruling over creation under him. Now, as I uh, mentioned at the beginning, at the outset, it's hard to see an area of life that people haven't at least begun to subdue. Uh, according to the command of Genesis 1, we've controlled other animals so they uh, work for us. We've harvested the plants to grow crops. We've even uh, penetrated the carriers of disease and sickness in order to make ourselves well. 
But that's not the full story, is it? Because for all the glory God has given us, we experience it as damaged glory, as broken glory. And so as we heard in our second reading, and the writer to the Hebrews puts his finger on it for us, even while reflecting on this very psalm, where he says, yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Everything is not as it should be, at least for a time. Psalm 8 reflects, it reflects first and foremost on the glory of Genesis 1 and 2, but we experience the brokenness of Genesis 3. Our control over the world isn't what it should be. And for all the things that are our environment we control and how many rise up against us uh, with floods and fire, with drought and famine. Uh, sometimes even the animals we raise for food to catch or eat, sometimes they take a bite out of us instead. And James, James writing in the New Testament, he picks up in, on this in his letter, observing as he does in James 3, our control over the greatness of the wind and the waves and the great animals of the world, but our inability to control this our tongues, as little as they are. And in the next breath, well, we praise God in one breath and in the next we cut down the people around us even though they are stamped, even though they are created in the image of God. And the worst of it is that we face death. We can't stop it. And as we can't, it shows who is the greater power, the greater ruler. But into this breach, Jesus' glory restores us to glory. And so we continue reading in Hebrews 2, Yet at the present time we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, uh, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Everything that Genesis 2 and Psalm 8 and we hope for finds its realisation in him. A angels weren't given by God to achieve it. We as people failed to achieve it, but the Lord Jesus, born into this world, uh, in a backwater in the Middle East, he embodies and brings it. Our glory is true glory only when we see it in light of his divinity humbled in sharing our humanity. Jesus came as a man but that he was God was clear for all who had eyes to see. As he exercised the authority that is God's alone over creation, like when he calmed the storm in Mark 4, or healed the sick, like the paralytic in Luke 5. And it was clear when he commanded the dead to rise, and they did, like Lazarus 
in John 11. His authority over everything reveals his authority, but at the same time helps us understand what it means to be humanity. For when we look at him, we see what we are meant to be. We see our glorified selves and what we're meant to be as image bearers. He became one of us to destroy what had damaged us. And so you can read on in Hebrews 2 from verse 14 where he tells us, the author tells us, Jesus became like us in every way in order to free us from the power of death. I was reminded this week of a news story from a few years ago. Uh, it was a story of a terrible truck accident that happened over at the northern beaches uh, near Mona Vale. I don't know if you remember it, but a petrol tanker uh, rolled over and its load caught a light. And terribly, uh, where it rolled, it ran into a car with two women in it. But two other people on the scene rushed in to their aid. I went to the car that was stuck under the truck where the occupants were prisoners and almost certainly about to die. But despite the danger to themselves, these two bystanders went to their rescue so they might live. And Jesus... He didn't just go into the flames. He went all the way and died himself to rescue us so we might live. As we read Psalm today, it challenges us to see ourselves as we truly are, to see ourselves truly in the light of whom God is, to recognise the glory that we sense in our humanity but also its brokenness in light of his mercy. Jesus frees us to the, be the people God made us to be. He freed us from death's clutches, so now we may treasure God. Treasure God not just for giving us our humanity, but for giving us our renewed humanity through his promise, through the faithfulness, and through the glory of the risen Lord Jesus. Now, if the creation and everything in it were not enough to praise God, which it is, how much more may we praise him? Knowing as we do, and we've been reminded today of what it means to be human, what it means to have the Lord Jesus before us, what it means to understand our place in the world and privilege to share in his glory and looking forward to seeing it all in its fullness when Jesus comes again. And so as you hear God's word this morning, as we hear it together, our self-esteem, our self-confidence comes from who and how God made us. Anywhere else would be a grave mistake and we delight to know our special place in God's will, just as we delight to know the God who sent Jesus to renew our place. 
And to know him, well, it is to love him. And it is to cry out with David as he, as he tops and tails this wonderful psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We praise and thank you that you are the great God of all power and that you in your kindness use that same power in mercy. Thank you for the privilege of making us in your image. We pray, continue to remake us in the image of your Son, that we might serve you as children in your family and bring us, we pray, to the day when we will all see you face to face and we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.